The Start On Demand. On demand. Would you get drunk before you had to speak to a crowd? That's what St. Louis blues legend Brett Hull did after the big parade recently. As he stood in front of the masses with a beer in hand, he put on a display of his vocal prowess by singing a passage from Gloria. And it was awful. It was awful. The New York Times has done a feature on Manitoba's own Narciss Snake Dens. So we'll get a reminder from our colleague Tristan Field-Jones on why this part of our province is so special. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, victorious in British Columbia. The voice of the blue and gold, Bob Irving, weighs in on the first game of the season. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and not Loren McNabb, because she's off until Wednesday. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, June 17th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is away until Wednesday. Greg Mackling, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you, Brett McGarry. A little soggy out there. Is this... Perfect mosquito-making weather we have in store over the next five or six days. Well, I mean, I I guess any rain is going to potentially create and lead to the mosquitoes, but we need the rain, right? We do need the rain. I was out. uh, I mean, I the my only reference point is golf, and I realize that maybe can be obnoxious, but I don't own a I don't have a house, so I have no yard. I'm not a farmer, so I don't deal with crops. The only time I, I really gauge... I like that not, qualification. Yeah. You're not a farmer, so you don't have any crops. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's clear. So the only thing that I pay attention to is when I'm out in the golf course. And sure. I was out golfing at Kingswood the other day, and I thought, this ground's a little parched, some of it, so could use some rain. And uh, sure enough, we got lots of rain, and it looks like it may have stopped temporarily here at Polo Park, but... Uh, I don't know. I kind of, I don't mind the odd rainfall. I don't either. It saves me from having to water my flowers at 3.30 in the morning. Oh, do you do that at 3.30 yeah, in the morning? I do that every morning before I come to work. Every morning? Yes. That's a, that's a good time to do it though, isn't it? It is perfect. Okay. Perfect. Nice and quiet. Birds are chirping. Wow. It's fantastic. It's just my serenity. 10 minutes or so. What kind to, of flowers? I have no idea. Jackie plants the flowers. I I put water on them. That's the deal. <laughs> right on, man. Pretty ones? Is, is that a type? Yeah. Is that a kind pretty? I, I think so, because there are some that are not. Yeah, that's a fair, fair assessment. There's, yeah, no. that, there's that plant that, uh, where is it, Edmonton? Where is the plant, the death plant, the one that smells like a rotting carcass? Oh, uh Sure. I can't remember where it is. I remember talking about this last year, I believe. Yeah, it only opens once a year or once. A, I can't remember the life cycle of this thing, but it smells like death. <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly we did not talk about this part uh, in the newsroom this morning. This is all off the top of the head, off the cuff, as we like to do when we're chit-chatting. But we have lots planned. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we did plan most of the next four hours. Yeah, like, uh, for example, the Bombers, we're going to get more into the Bombers' victory in our next segment, but just very quick snap assessment. I'm already seeing headlines. Are the Bombers the best in the West? Is it too early to talk about that one game into the season? It's never too early, Brett McGarry, to talk about whether or not your team is the best team in the league, whether they are championship material, especially on a weekend where you have the St. Louis Blues celebrating their unlikely quest and and conquering of the Stanley Cup playoffs from last place 
on January 2nd, January 3rd to the best team in the National Hockey League. I feel sorry for kids for the next you know, several decades because they're all going to be getting the the St. Louis Blues in 2019. You, 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 do you know what they did? Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be getting the the never quit thing. And then, of course, today, the Toronto Raptors already hundreds, if not thousands of people in Nathan Phillips Square getting ready for the big parade today. I don't know how many people they're expecting for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess it's going to end up being close to a million people in Toronto wow. turning out for this parade. That'll be my prediction. How's that as a number? So uh, never too early to be thinking about championships for a team that hasn't won one in 28 years. You don't want to get too excited. But as I was saying to Cam this morning, Cam Poitras doing sports this morning, very usual for the Bombers to get a break like Calgary winning and then for the Bombers to kind of... uh, I don't want to use the proper terminology here. <laughs> Fritter away the opportunity to take advantage <laughs> of something like that. But in this case, Ottawa goes into Calgary. They win. They beat the Stampeders, the defending Grey Cup champions. And then the Bombers manage to win in Vancouver. And uh, so it's now the Bombers and Eskimos who are tied for first place at 1-0. and And Calgary's 0-1. So, you know, most most predictions say that it's going to be the Bombers and the Stampeders fighting it out for first place. And Saskatchewan Rough Riders, their quarterback, Zach Caleros, who we had in studio here just over a year ago uh, when the when the CFL had CFL week here in Winnipeg. On the six-game injured list, he took a nasty hit in mm-hmm. the first series against Hamilton Thursday night. Doesn't look good for Caleros. He was in concussion protocol, did not go back into the game Thursday night. Now he's out for at least six weeks. You got to wonder if this is the end of the line for him. Blue Bombers winning their first season opener since 2015. And uh, Bob Irving, the voice of the Blue Bombers, joins us now. And Bob, uh, I I said this to Cam Poitras this morning. I said, you know, Bob, you know what would be, uh, or Cam, you know what would be typical? The, bo- the Bombers would watch Calgary beat Ottawa or, or lose to Ottawa at home, and then the Bombers would go out and lose to Vancouver. <laughs> and But the Bombers were able to take advantage of the Stampeders' loss on Saturday night. Yeah, they've got a leg up on the Stampeders already, and of course uh, that's the team every year for the last decade we've seen is the one you, you've kind of got to beat out if you're going to finish high in the West standings, although... Based on one weekend, the Edmonton Eskimos look like they might be that team along with the Blue Bombers, but I wouldn't write Calgary off yet. But a great start for the Bombers, Greg. You know, it wasn't a Picasso, as I tweeted, but they won the game. <laughs> they did They did a lot of things right. They won by 10 on the road in a place where it's hard to win. The BC Lions were 7-2 and two at home last year. And Mike Riley, of course, is now their marquee player, so... All things considered, a great start for the Bombers. Yeah, Trevor Harris, the quarterback that the Eskimos signed to replace Mike Riley, had an incredible game against Montreal on Friday night. But it was Andrew Harris who was the difference on offense and the rushing, well, the lack of a rushing attack from BC Lions against the Blue Bomber defense, the story on the other side of the ball, perhaps. Well, I think that's a big part of it for sure. You know, the Bombers have such a balanced offense, and they have ever since Andrew Harris uh, came home. He had 149 yards rushing the other night. He continues to just impress. He ran out of 
superlatives to describe the way that Andrew Harris plays. But, yeah, the Bombers ran for, I think their rushing total was 170 yards on the night, and BC Lions had four, four yards rushing. So I, I think that hurts BC. I think they've got to try to develop a running game and not leave all the onus on Mike Riley and his passing if they're going to be successful this year. But, yeah, the Bombers uh, on offense look like they're going to be very dangerous again this year, not with a sort of a high-flying passing attack, but just a very efficient, balanced attack. Bob saw some of the highlights, and uh, one of them was a Winnipeg Blue Bomber doing a little chicken dance. Jeff Hecht, <laughs> a defensive back, He uh, when Deron Carter decided, no, I'm not going to go for that football. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, is that was Carter, in fact, being a chicken, or was that more of a, an intelligent move to just say, you know what, it's not worth risking injury because I'm going to get laid out? Yeah, I think it's the latter. As a matter of fact, we had Hecht on our post-game show, and he said uh, Carter made a smart move because he was going to get he was going to get nailed by Hecht had he gone for the football. But Hecht uh, was a bit of a, a cocky young guy. He he wasn't afraid to showboat a little bit and and taunt Carter. As a matter of fact, he could have got a taunting penalty. I think uh, for what he did, uh, there is a penalty in the rule book for that. But uh, yeah, he uh, he was having a big night too. Heck, he finished with two interceptions. His first ever, first ever game in a nine-year career as a starter to begin a season. So, an exciting night for him. But back to your question, I think uh, Carter was uh, was smart with what he did there. I know you're going to go all over this stuff with Coach O'Shea from seven till eight tonight. So I want to ask you real quick before we let you walk off here, Bob, because you're out for your morning <laughs> walk. Zach Caleros uh, placed on the six-game injured list by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We had a little bit of a chat with regard to that hit from Simone Lawrence that happened on Thursday night. And uh, could this be the end of the of the line for Zach Caleros? Well, it could be, Greg. He's only 30 years old, and you would hate to think his career is over at that age. Quarterbacks can play well into their 30s if they can stay healthy. I don't know. It's his third or fourth concussion, and it seems when he has them, uh, he's out for a long, long time, so they're obviously quite severe. I don't know how this one's going to turn out, but it's, uh, it's really a sad story, and you feel for the player. You know, I mean, football's a tough game, and guys can get injured at any time and really have their careers ended at any time. But that hit by Lawrence, uh, just the magnitude of it, given Kolaris's situation, was very, very sad. And I hope Zach Kolaris can bounce back and play again. And maybe it's in his best interest not to. I don't know. That'll be up to him. Sure. And I'm, curi- I'm curious to see what the league does with uh, Simone Lawrence, because he should be suspended. If he's not, there's something wrong with this league. I heard you and Doug and Ed talking about that hit on the pregame show on Saturday night. And is it time, you know, the the player has to get tagged when he's down, but is it time for the CFL to look at the situation when the quarterback decides to slide down? A, that's where he's down and yeah. you don't have to tag him. Like he's conceding that he does not want to go any further and, and that should be the end of the play. Yeah, Greg, I think that's already understood in the league. There's When a quarterback is giving himself up, and as a matter of fact, they put a new rule in this year that if a quarterback is sliding either head first or feet first, it doesn't matter. If he's going down, he's down, the play is over, you don't have to go and hit him. Uh, and it's going to take a while, I guess, for that to sink in, and I don't think it'll ever sink in. You know, players in the, in the heat of the moment, uh, flying around out there at full speed with the adrenaline pumping, there's always going to be scenarios like this. All we can hope to do is minimize them. All right, Bob Irving joining us live on CJOB. Bob, thank you for this. Okay, you guys. 
This might be something to crow about. For two weeks, Crestview resident Andrew Wood has been nursing a baby crow back to health, and he's taught it to ride his bike. Well, sort of. <laughs> it started when he spotted a young crow lying in the middle of Cavalier Drive. That's out in Crestview. After leaving and coming back a few hours later, he saw it again lying in the road. Or is it laying in the road? Hmm. I don't know. We'll go with Lang. Wood visited in studio with Julie and Tristan Field-Jones, who was filling in for Richard Cluche on the news on Friday afternoon. Such a neat story. We wanted to share it with you this morning. It was about two weeks ago. I was driving my daughter to an appointment early in the morning, and it looked like there was something struggling somewhat on the road. So I pulled over, and uh, thankfully the three cars behind me didn't run it over. Right. And it was a very small crow. Um not old enough to fly uh, by any means. So I moved him over to the grass. You know, parents were flying down trying to let me know, you know, back off, that's my baby. So drove my daughter to appointment, came back, it was still in, in the grass. So the parents didn't do anything. So knowing the area could have cats, I secured it in a bush. A few hours later, it was still in the bush. The parents didn't grab the bird. And bring it back to the nest, assuming that it fell out of a nest. But I don't know. So, yeah. And so once once that happened, yeah. Then what? So after f- several hours, I went back, uh, confirmed with the homeowner if I could go back in the bush to look for the crow. Right. And he says, "You do whatever you need to do." Because I would look a little suspicious if you're looking through <laughs> somebody's bushes, especially when he's right at the window, <laughs> right. wondering what I'm doing. So he said, "That's fine. Do what you have to do." I uh, took the bird home, and I happen to have some frozen thawed rats from when I, because I have a snake at home, so oh, wow. I was able to feed the the crow some nutrients, and it's been with me since two weeks ago, Saturday. So yeah, it's uh, to the point now he's on his own. Sort of. Now, the hero of our story wants to make something very clear. Well, he's a free bird. He's still a wild animal. But during the day, uh, he's out in my backyard and or the neighbor's trees. So he can do whatever he wants. I'm not holding the bird at all. But he still comes to me when I call him. What, you, you giving him a name? Does he have a name? Yeah. His, his name is Cavalier because that's the street I found him on. And, of course, it works out because I just call him Cav for short. As and, one does. And it uh, it sounds like a caw to him, so yeah. he knows when he's being called. And he'll be in a tree a uh, few hundred feet away, and he'll come over and get some food. Did he learn to f- So he, during these two weeks, did he learn to fly? Yeah, there was a lot of rehabilitation uh, with raising him um, because, again, he was so small. That I did a lot of strength training with him. Uh, I'd hold my finger or he'd be on a hockey stick and I'd move it up and down to get those wings exercised and his feet, his grip. How did you else. know how to yeah, do no all kidding, of this? Yeah. Uh, you know, as a kid, uh, I'm from Scarborough, Ontario. I grew up near the zoo. It's nothing but trees and forests and rivers and stuff. So I was one with nature, uh, I guess you say, growing up. So I just researched and took the time and energy and... You're just a good guy yeah. <laughs> and an animal lover. I do what I would do. Hopefully anyone else would do. Um, you know, it is a wild animal still. so For sure. It's not a pet. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion in our city about whether or not we should build more bike infrastructure. What does this have to do with Andrew and the crow? Well, we saw some neat pictures of the crow uh, hanging on your bike. 
Yeah, I would take them for some bike rides around the neighborhood. Uh, this would inspire the bird to uh, see the area. Again. Get the feeling, right? Yeah, Probably. exactly. So he wasn't ready to fly at that point, but I figure, hey, why not show him around, uh, see what's out there. Um, he, I have a handle or a bar on the back of my bike for my dogs, which worked out well for the, the bird. So, yeah, if you want to see pictures, you want to see video, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to link the story to our 680CJOB Instagram momentarily here. And it's uh, the, the video they were able to get. I guess they hooked up a GoPro or something to this guy's bike. So the, the, the guy's riding the bike down the street, and there's this crow sort of perched uh, sort of on the kind of hanging off the side of the bike. Just looks like he's having a grand old time. It's fantastic. I can remember in uh, Expo 86 in the Ontario Pavilion, they had this video. Part of the presentation about selling Ontario was a man who had one of those ultralight yep. uh, vehicles, and he was he would fly with geese, and he had cameras mounted on this ultralight, and it was like you were flying with a flock of Canada geese. Oh, geese. wow. It was in... Uh, panoramic uh, view or whatever you, I think that's what you would call it, kind of that dome structure. So it's 360 degree view of this uh, video, Neat. a little bit of 3D as well. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. So this is a neat thing to do. My nephews were at the house uh, for supper last night. Mm -hmm. They were doing work uh, at their mom's place on the roof and they found four baby raccoons. Really? And they're actually nursing these raccoons back to back to health because the mum is kind of scattered, but they've uh, created a little nest for it, put it up in a tree, a wooden box that the predators can't get at. They've done all their research as wow. well. And these raccoons are, they're so cute, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember once uh, a few years, like this would have been about eight years ago, um, me and my then girlfriend at the time, we found this this squirrel who was in distress. And I guess it had been hit by a car, and it uh, looked like its back legs were mangled fairly badly, and it was just, it was freaking out, and uh, my girlfriend at the time was freaking out as well because she felt so bad for this little guy. So we went, and I think I found, went and found a shoebox and a little dish towel, and we picked up the squirrel and put it in the in the shoebox, basically gave it a, 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 a comfortable spot to to die, essentially, because it, it didn't have much time left, but uh, we didn't really know what to do, uh, and, uh, and I certainly don't know what we would have done had it had it survived, because okay. I, I, I had done no research on <laughs> this, like, the, the, like you mentioned, these people who are taking care of the raccoons, clearly they're, they've put some time into investigating what they need to do, but... Yeah, I wasn't prepared to become a squirrel daddy. Uh, As George Costanza would say, I thought we had a deal with the squirrels. They're <laughs> supposed to get off the road. I thought we had a deal. What's the most, when I think of, this is a really interesting pairing of a Winnipegger with an animal, but for me, the, the probably the most interesting uh, pairing of man and animal is the guy, and I haven't seen him in years, but when I used to work downtown, I used to see this guy all the time, Walk around downtown, up and down Portage Avenue. Always had his shirt off, bald head, and he'd have an iguana mm -hmm. sitting on his head. Do you remember that guy? I do. <laughs> I do remember the bald head iguana guy. <laughs> so that's what I think it says on his driver's license. Bald head iguana guy. Bald bald head iguana guy. <laughs> if the bald head iguana guy is still out there, if you still see him, let us know uh, because there's probably an interesting story there. Maybe we could get him in the studio with the iguana. Would you let the iguana sit on your head? No chance. <laughs> I will give you my holiday schedule. You're more than welcome to have the bald head iguana guy in the studio when I am far away from here. Deal? 
That sounds like a deal. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like a bunch of you uh, remember that video and that movie from the Ontario Pavilion at Expo 86. Eve says, yeah, I was there. I remember that. And somebody else saying, yeah, I've seen that seen that film about that man that flies with the geese. So oh, pretty cool. cool. 780-6868. Somebody else saying that they found a cat in a shoebox behind Carlos and Murphy's once. Uh, named him, what? In an Etnies shoebox? Oh, I should know more about shoes, but I don't recognize that. So I named him Etnies. That was the cat that taught me responsibility. Right on. Great story, Jay. Right on, Jay. Thank you very much. Once upon a time, this used to be the theme song for the Couch Potatoes. Gorilla Outst- Radio. Outstanding choice, I, I may say. By Rage Against the Machine. And why are we playing Rage Against the Machine at 6.51 in the morning on 680 CJOB, Greg Mackling? Why the hell not? I know. You know? <laughs> do, we need, do you need a reason? Let, let, let's be honest about that. Hey, I, I've said this a million times. When you are at a hockey game, there are people that pay for the most expensive seats around the glass. And what a half of them do throughout the game, they hold up... Their phones, so they can record it to say, I don't know, on Instagram, on Twitter, say, hey, look where I am. But instead of watching the game, they're watching it on a, like a five-inch screen. Tom Morello, who uh, if you play Guitar Hero very well, you can you can beat Tom Morello in a oh, yeah. face-off in a, in a guitar solo battle. Guitar Hero 3. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Put a phone. <laughs> here, Tom Morello Legends says, put a phone on my face on stage and I'll throw it. Hashtag live in the moment. Great fun today at a show in Chicago. And the video shows him doing exactly that. Bunch of people up on stage and one guy snuggles up close to him and with his left hand picks up the phone to to shoot a selfie or some video. Morello, mid-guitar solo, grabs his phone and chucks it into the crowd. It's <laughs> it, was, it was like nonchalant, uh, the way you just grabbed the phone and threw it into the crowd. I loved it. Yeah, yeah if you it was wanna, awesome. If you want to see the video, <laughs> we put it on our 680CJOB Instagram story. And I don't... I don't know. I, I understand the whole live in the moment thing. And I, because I was at Christina Aguilera last week at Zappos Theater at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas, and I took a ton of video and a ton of pictures, partly because my girlfriend is a super fan. She was enjoying the show, so I wanted to document it for her. Um, and also just for myself. And I was able to post some great video on Twitter and Instagram. And then I can go back and, and revisit it. But I, whenever I take video, I try to sort of frame the camera and then actually look at the real thing sort right. of above my phone rather than stare at it through my phone. So I usually try to do that. But when people are actually watching it through their phone, and I even catch myself doing it sometimes. You, you're, you're, you got your, your camera out and you realize I, I could just look up and look at the real thing. But I like to have those documented moments. Yeah, there's no question. What do you think about this, Cam? You're a big uh, sports guy. Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I just kind of I go back to like when Tiger Woods. It wasn't when he, before they won the Masters. He was doing really well at the PGA Championship. But this is a big moment in history. Tiger Woods is kind of back. It's you know after all the troubles and stuff like that, he's again competing in a major, and he's he's teeing off, and pe- there's just everybody standing there, and they all have their phones, and they're all taping it, and I. 
I just I don't understand that. Like, I, and I and I, I get that you want to like this is a big moment. You want to document it and stuff like that. I don't think how many times are you going to go back and you're I was actually just about to say that yeah that footage. You know what you're going to do? You're going to you're going to think about the memory of you being there and how cool it was, and and that's what you kind of tell people, and you kind of like. Then you kind of like show, oh, look at this video that I have here, right? So I, I understand you wanted to, to document this kind of stuff and, and have fun, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like just sit there, enjoy it, drink it all in, and, and you know, because a moment like that, you're, you're never going to get back. Yeah, my, my phone's in my pocket. If I go to a concert or anything, my phone stays in my pocket. I, I just I don't see the point. And like how many times are you actually going to go back and look at that video? There's so many videos I have on my phone. That I even I haven't even looked at once. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know enjoy myself, drink my beer, and watch the game. See, this is why you talk about living the moment. This is why storm chasing is such a great hobby because I love to take. And I'll explain that in a sec, there, Greg. Because just I love to, to get take. A plug in for the no, 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 storm. no, no. Hang on, let me finish. Hey guys, I chase storm. Because <laughs> no, because I don't go to a ton of concerts. But anytime I'm out there storm chasing, I'm taking pictures and videos. You have no choice but to live in the moment because if you're not careful, then you might get hit by something very nasty. So the fact is, and I've been absolutely guilty of that, where there's this beautiful landscape in front of me. There's these absolutely stunning images. And here I am with my five-inch screen taking a picture of it, thinking, wow, this is going to be really great for later on. And the fact of the matter is it goes into my massive collection of pretty sunsets that I already have. So I can absolutely, but again, I have to move my uh, butt out of there because uh, you know I don't want to get swallowed up by Mother Nature's wrath. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Do we need to spend more time Boom. living in the moment? I know that I am addicted to my phone and the odd time where I actually do just put it down. I feel this kind of instant relief. But it seems I think there is a there is a healthy balance that can be struck. If you're trying to if you're at a concert and you want to get a minute of video here, a picture there, there's still plenty of concert to enjoy. And like I said, you can frame the shot. If you're taking a video, press record and then just hold it there while you're enjoying it. Would you or shouldn't you just throw the phone like Tom Morello? <laughs> I, I, who, why do you think you can get on stage and take a selfie with him? Like, that's ridiculous. That's, well, well, there's, there's, there's about shooter. 100 people on stage. Oh, it was okay. Okay. That was like, I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it was yeah. part of the, the thing. This is during the, I guess this was after the parade yes, in they St. Had, Louis? Yeah, big gathering. Of course, they always have a stage at the end. Yep. Tens of thousands of adoring fans waiting to honor their heroes. So here comes Brett Hall, who is, for those who might not remember... The son of Bobby Hall, but he's also a former St. Louis Blue. The The Blues alumni really have uh, latched on to this Stanley Cup run from the Blues, and rightfully so. Yeah. I think we would ex- expect the same when the Jets win the Stanley Cup, that some of the former Jets will be in town along for the ride. Brett Hall comes out with a beer in hand and does this. You can say let's go Blues all you want, but you know what? We went. We went blues. We went blues. Yeah, we went blues. We don't have to go anymore because we already did. These got the Stanley Cup for this city. There is nothing more they have to do. So instead of saying. Let's go, Blues! It's really on this train. We're gonna say, we went, Blues! We 
philosophy. I don't think he got buy-in. Well, I can't. It's the Hall of Famer. I can't quite determine if that was the best TV of all time or the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly entertaining. Well, it gets better. And they are the champions. Glory, Gloria. Don't do it, Brett. Oh, God. Don't do it. Gloria. Gloria. I think I got your number. Gloria. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks for stuff. Why do they let these guys speak after they have consumed what is clearly a large amount of alcohol? It, it, it's foolish. And you would think that individuals who have been so disciplined in their lives in terms of where they've got in their, I was trying to decide if I want to use the word gotten or not, where, what they've achieved in their, in their careers on the ice. Mm-hmm. These guys are clearly capable of dedicating themselves to certain things. Mm, maybe don't dedicate yourself so much to the celebration, although you got to admit, some of the best videos last summer were those of Alexander Ovechkin indulging in his celebrations. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's in this era of conscientiousness around sobriety and drinking and driving. Is it a mixed message for the kids? Because there were tens of thousands of people at the celebration. You have to know a good proportion of them are kids yeah you know is this the sort of thing you want your kids to see i i I don't i don't think so i have no problem with people having fun and enjoying their moment i mean this was a huge moment for the st louis blues for the city for anybody who's ever been attached to that organization yeah live it up celebrate but if you plan to speak uh, anyway you jordan biddington (laughs) Jordan Bennington, goaltender for the Blues. He got called up from the minors, and basically he saved the St. Louis Blues season, not single-handedly, but he is probably the single, um, if you're looking for one single reason why the Blues managed to do what they did, come back from last place to win the Stanley Cup, he would be right at the top of that list. And he's been accused of not being very emotional, uh, quite focused in his post-game news conferences, scrums with the media. He doesn't say very much. And you might remember the Winnipeg Jets fans chanting, you look nervous <laughs> in games one and games two yeah. against the Well, no, uh, games one and two? Uh, yes, against the Blues. He didn't really look all that nervous in any games. Well, Darren Pang is the host of St. Louis Blues uh, coverage. He's their color analyst, and he hosted the big celebration. Here's Panger with uh, Jordan Bennington on Ladies Saturday. and gentlemen, number 50, Jordan Bennington. Yeah. Does he look nervous to you? How does this feel? You want to see some emotion? We're Stanley Cup champions, baby! (laughs) That wasn't a glitch in the audio. That's bleeped. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted emotion, you got it! All right. Lots of f lots of f bombs in the celebrations too. I don't know if the NHL is going to have to crack down on that or what they're going to do, but pretty popular word in the world of hockey. Hate to tell you. So you found this story here, Greg. New York Times. 
What's going on? With well, one of our loyal listeners, actually, Jeff, is really good at keeping us in the loop. We're so lucky to have this network of listeners that we connect with in the community that are always looking out for us. And uh, you read the headline, but I'll read it again, Brett. This town comes alive once a year as thousands of snakes mate. And this is, of course, the Narciss snake dens north of Winnipeg. Ian Austin is the Canadian correspondent for the New York Times. And Tristan, it's ironic because my neighbors had rented a mm-hmm. U-Haul on the weekend to move some appliances and they had, you know how Utah, um, U-Haul will advertise these different North American adventures. Come to Utah right. to see this and come to Texas to see that. And I saw these snakes and I'm like, oh, that must be Arizona. No, it was in fact the Narciss snake dens that they were advertising on the side of the U-Haul. So a few hours later, I go into my email and here's this article yeah. that the New York Times has featured uh, Narciss. It's one of the most special places in in the world. It is remarkable uh, what you see there. And, and it's funny because that particular article mentions how it's highly dependent on the weather. And let me just tell you, I've been there uh, this year and last year. And just to give you an example, so I usually like to take an extra day off if I'm uh, taking, uh, because it is, you do have to make a day trip out of it. It's about an hour and a half north of the city. Um, And last year I took the first Monday of May off and there was some moderate activity. This year uh, I decided to go visit it on the May long weekend and the activity was even less because it had been such a long and cold spring. So it is one of these things. I have yet to see it like right at its peak peak, uh, which is, I, th- I think they mentioned in there, it's like a 10-day period. But it, it really is neat to see this area. Um, and something I will say is if you do ever, I mean, I think all the snakes have dispersed by now, although they do return in the autumn, and you can actually see a fair number of them return to the dens uh, during se- September and part of October. But one of the striking things uh, this year especially, and it was partly because it was the May long weekend, but on the highway, I was with a buddy of mine, and we approach this, and we see this line of cars in front of us on both sides of the highway. Turns out that for, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say at the entrance in a kilometer and in each direction, it was a line of cars on both sides of the highway using the shoulder as parking spaces. And of course, the the funny part of that is when we went into there, there were like three or four parking spaces available, but people just didn't bother to go into the lot. They just parked on the side of the highway. Um, that, and I think that really gives you an idea. This this town in the middle of nowhere, and they describe it very well. Narciss has an abandoned gas station, and I think that's about it, right? It's, <laughs> it's, this, it's this tiny little ghost town. And yet there were, on that particular day this year, I don't think I'm exaggerating when there may have been a thousand people at any given time, just at that moment, let alone how many people had visited within the course of the entire sure, day. Sure, come and gone throughout yeah. the day. And it's, it's remarkable, too, because it's, and they describe it, 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 you know, the reason why it's not farmland is because there's a thin layer of topsoil, and then underneath it is limestone and sandstone, stuff that's easily dissolvable in rain over centuries, I would think, or maybe even less than that. And so it's perfect areas to form all these subterranean caves. And what's interesting is that a, few, uh, a fair number of those, they have this exhibit there where there's a sinkhole that was accidentally uncovered by a tractor because it was formerly a farmer's field and you accidentally came across the sinkhole and discovered that this leads to this huge cave network. And what's neat is that these caves are, for the most part, unexplored. They don't actually know the 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 whole layout of them. It'd be I think it'd be fascinating to when the snakes are not in the cave to maybe take a drone down there or something just to get an, a, an idea of the layout and everything around there. Uh, but it, it really is fascinating to see the almost two worlds, sort of the underground 
meet and mingle with the the overworld, if you will. So you, when you go out there, are you allowed to like make contact with these snakes? Like, can you reach in and touch them or what? There are barriers around the dens, but inevitably, because there's tens of thousands of snakes, they end up all over the place. And what happens is, uh, uh, willingly for the most part, but sometimes unwillingly, you may come across these snakes because they slither in the grass and they slither all over the trails and you'll see people go out in parties uh, and they'll go and you'll see the kids do this too. And they'll go out and hunt for them. And the conservation officials that are there, you know, they, they handle them and they encourage you to handle them within, you know, a respectful banner, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, uh, and it's one of the, it, that's what kind of makes it so neat. Cause how many animal attractions are you told? Don't touch the animals, look at them from a distance, that sort of thing. And yet in this case, I mean, partly because there's so many of them, the officials there say, no, you can handle them and you're allowed to. And they encourage you to do that. I think that's what makes it so neat. And again, these garter snakes, they're for humans are totally harmless. They're not going to they're not going to hurt you. They do bite if they feel threatened, but they might make your heart beat a little bit quicker than it normally does. If you're Indiana Jones, right? Exactly. So Narciss, you take uh, Highway 7 up to Toulon and then you make a left turn and go north on Highway 17 and boom, you're going to find it. Uh, Thank you, Tristan. You betcha. Yeah, and I highly recommend it, by the way. If you're not skittish of snakes, uh, plan a day out there and... um, In the fall will be the next time to go. Yeah, for sure. We'll link the New York Times story to the 680 CJOB Instagram. I know what Greg would say if he was up there. Tristan made the reference. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Uh, The headline is North Carolina boy wax alleged robber with machete injured suspect arrested after a manhunt. And when I watched the story uh, from North Carolina and listened to this 11 year old boy talk, I was just blown away at the composure that this young man has. And I thought, I'm not even that composed and I'm 41. I got 30 years in this kid. Mm -hmm. Listen to what he has to say. He pointed a pellet gun at me that was located in our house um, and I knew that it wasn't loaded so I just sat down and got in my closet like he told me to and then um, he went into the living room to grab my phone to make sure I didn't call the 911 or anything. When I saw him try to put it in his pocket I grabbed my machete off of my wall and went to hit him and I hit him in the back of the head like right here. If they come in the door, you let them have it. Were you scared? It was like, it went by really fast, and I knew that I didn't have any time to think about what I was going to do. This Father's Day, Braden says he'd feel safer if they were caught, but he's ready to protect himself again. I knew I had to act in the heat of the moment. Always have your kids prepared for anything. You shouldn't have done what you In case you couldn't hear what he was saying at the end because they laid in this music track in the background, but he said, you shouldn't, you should get a job rather than break into somebody's house. You didn't need to do what you had to do. You should get a job rather than break into someone's house. But I think what really struck me is when he said, you should make sure that your kids are prepared. My eyes got big like saucers when he said that. And I think you caught that, Brett. The whole conversation around 
you know, the king of your castle and what you should be allowed to do and not do in protecting your family. Did you and I have this discussion in the newsroom the other day? I think we did. Yep. Uh, you know, gun control is such a big conversation whenever we have these tragic mass murders, as I call them in the United States. Uh, some people call them uh, mass shootings. Uh, when people are, are killed uh, uh, in that fashion, I can't help but call them murders. But I've done a 180 on the whole idea of owning a gun. I'm starting to think, and I started thinking this way maybe three years ago, that it might be irresponsible. I can't believe I'm saying this out loud as a Canadian. It might be irresponsible not to have some form of lethal protection in your home because we're seeing so many things in our country, in our community, where like there's not enough police. Back in the day when I was younger, you had somebody skulking around on your property where you thought you maybe you heard a window break next door in your own house. You phone cops. They were there almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if that would even get a reaction now. And so I've I've really come around on the whole idea of making sure that uh, you have the training necessary, I'll put it that way, mm-hmm. to protect your home, to protect your family. Would you think that if you did not have kids because I'm guessing a lot of this is uh, from you know your your proud papa you want to protect your your kids your cubs yes I think I think that that escalates your your sense of of uh, wanting to be able to provide that protection and it makes it more critical it's one thing to go toe to go toe to toe fist to fist face to face with someone either uh, on your front doorstep or God forbid in inside your home. But when your kids might be in the middle of that, witness that, or or be victimized by the actions of some other people, I tell you, man, I've really, really swung my view on on that whole entire notion of of having some sort of protection in my house. So at about 8.45, Greg, you said something that uh, you were surprised to hear yourself say out loud. You said that you did a one, you've done a 180 on guns in in the sense that you would now consider owning one because there is so much stuff going on in our city and police they're just too busy to deal with what might seem like a smaller call you know you referenced an example if someone was lurking in your backyard if you were to call the cops and once upon a time they'd be there right away but now probably not so that leaves you in charge of defending your home, and you would consider now having a gun in the home. Yeah, and I said as a Canadian, it feels strange to say this, as a Canadian who lives in a city, yeah. you know, I understand that there are people who live in the country, and that, that's been a big part of, of, of country life is, is owning guns, and there's lots of hunters that live in the city too, but in terms of just owning a weapon for protection of your castle, I don't know how common that is. And so uh, one of our listeners said, hey, Greg, owning a gun is not a un-Canadian. If I intimated that in any way, shape, or form, that was certainly not my intention, first and foremost. So I want to get that clear. Uh, tons of folks texting in saying, hey, Mackling, you got, you're, you're finally right on something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of our listeners says, with the crime growing in the city, it's completely logical to want to be able to protect yourself with a firearm in your own house. And if you have a spouse and children, that responsibility becomes even greater. There should not be any shame in advocating for gun ownership in order to protect yourself. It's about time someone said so on air. 
Someone else saying, I agree with Greg, you should be able to defend your family and your home from anybody who tries to come in to hurt you, and if they get killed in the process, shouldn't have broken in. Yikes. Yep. Yep. Uh, We have another one here from uh, John who says, way to be, Greg. Everyone should have the right to self-defense, especially in your home. If criminals prefer not to be injured, don't be criminals. I don't have a gun, but I do, like many people, I'm sure, have a baseball bat at my bedside on the off chance that someone were to to break in. So at least it's a, it's, it's. I know it's, uh, I mean, you, certainly lethal damage or, or or serious damage can be inflicted with a bat, but it's, it can be a clumsy weapon. But it, it, it makes me feel better knowing that I have at least that in the event that I need to arm myself to protect uh, my myself and my girlfriend. Yeah, there's no question about it. I know lots of people who have uh, weapons uh, that aren't necessarily traditional weapons strategically placed throughout their home should they need it. And it just... I guess I feel not defeated, just disappointed that we're at this point where we're having to have this conversation because it felt like, you know, we were immune to a great extent to having anything other than the police to protect us. Yeah. That that was an option, right? You didn't have to go to that extent to say, hey, I got to make sure that my home is my fortress. I think we're, I, I, I think we're past the point of no return on that one, unfortunately. But right now, we want to tell you about a conversation that one of our colleagues had with a former Winnipeg Jet, a former St. Louis Blue, a former Atlanta Thrasher, a former Phoenix Coyote. You got it, man. Just sort of ran the gauntlet. He's also the father of two of the young stars in the National Hockey League. Nine years as a member of the St. Louis Blues. You mentioned that stint with the Atlanta Thrashers. 26 games in length. The Massachusetts native is married to a Winnipeg girl called St. Louis Home. We say good morning to Keith Kachuk. Good morning, Keith. Uh, how you been? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, you're off to Vancouver? Not correct. I'm just going to make a quick stop in Seattle, watch a little baseball game tonight, and then uh, head to the draft tomorrow. Uh, so it's 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 been quite the week for, I guess, anyone associated with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, have you, how have you enjoyed this unprecedented ride from, you know, last in January all the way to this championship? Well, you can tell by my voice, it's been... Uh, and, uh, a heck of a bunch of days here since we uh, clinched on Wednesday night. So, uh, you know, uh, i got to give the guys a lot of credit. Yeah, dead last, January 3rd, I believe, where things were just, you know, weren't going very good at all, thinking about just different scenarios and then to do what they did and, and, and to play as well as they did down the stretch to get into the playoffs and never mind the way we played. In the playoffs, was uh, was really, really incredible. Now you've had the chance to kind of watch your sons, Brady and Matthew, play at, at, at really high levels, high-ranked prospects, uh, uh, big upcoming stars in the league. I think I think Matthew already is a star in the league. Uh, is it is it easier for your nerves uh, for your nerves to watch them play? You know what? It's a lot harder. It is and for sure. It is you know because you you know you don't want to see them fail and you want them to see them do well. So yeah. I was definitely a little more nervous watching them compared to when I played. Um, you just went out and played. You did what you try to do best, and you know. But it's a lot of it's a lot of fun for them. You know, I'm happy for them. This is a dream come true for them, and they wanted to get to this level, and they worked hard to get here. Well, yeah, I mean, a chance to kind of carry on with uh, carry on, uh, you know, your footsteps and stuff like that. Have the same experiences. That must be something that's exciting. It is. You know, I mean, uh, they play in. Obviously, two Canadian markets where it's really focused on hockey. So, 
they're enjoying that. Um, you know, Calgary was a little bit of a disappointment the way they finished up in the playoffs. In Ottawa, it's going to take some time to go, but it's a lot of fun. I, my wife and I enjoy watching them play. Yeah, Don't want to leave your uh, daughter tearing out of the mix, uh, a field hockey star. Yeah, I mean, she's probably the best out of all of them, so it's been <laughs> fun watching her. Um, you know, she's um, she's pretty, pretty busy with her sports, her athletics, and you know, it's been a lot of fun watching her and seeing her accomplish a couple of state championships the last few years here in St. Louis. So uh, it keeps us busy, that's for sure. Absolutely. With all the kids. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, the current Jets are in all likelihood on the verge of trading away uh, one of their American-born stars, uh, uh, p- players, Jacob Truba. Did you have any thoughts on that? No, I mean, hey, this is the business we're in right now. Um, you know, you're going to see a lot more guys, you know, you know, get some get movement there, and you know, I think I don't know his contract situation, but I know they've been, you know, getting close to where he'd be able to come to UFA, UFA in the next few years. So um, this is where it all happens in the draft too. There'll be a lot of movement, and this is the time to do it. But uh, I'm sure Chevy will do a good job of uh, if they do decide to trade him, get get good return from him because he has a a good young player who is physical and can skate and right shot defensive goals are hard to come by. What would you say to, to somebody like Truba or Truba himself if you were trying to convince him to consider maybe sticking around long-term in, in Winnipeg? Or would you kind of say that it's uh, it's about the business and you got to do what's best for yourself? Uh, yeah, these guys got to do what's best for themselves. But, you know, I enjoyed playing in Winnipeg. It's a fun town. Uh, they got a really good team. You know, you'd hate to want to leave a good team. But, hey, this is, this is, this is what happens. You know, teams can get rid of you and... You know, I mean, that's is the way it goes. And like I said, his contract status is a little different, unique. So I think a decision has to be made one way or the other to sign him or to trade him. Uh, would you say anything to Winnipeggers who, you know, can take these decisions as kind of a, a slight against the city? Uh, well, you know, it, it's hard. I mean, uh, people in Winnipeg have a lot of pride. Like I said, they have a good hockey team, and I really enjoyed living there. Um, everybody can form their own opinion. That's what's good about the world of sports. Uh you know, players do come and go. That's the way it works. And, you know, um, but like I said, you know, they'll get something good in return for them and if they do decide to move them. Well, enjoy the baseball game uh, in Seattle. Safe trip to Vancouver and then back to St. Louis. Thanks a lot, Keith. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. It's Keith Kachuk with our Cam Poitras this morning as uh, Keith was unavailable to join us uh, live on the air when we needed him to do so. So uh, Cam was kind enough to have that conversation on our behalf. And yeah, the draft coming up, going to be a ton of player movement. Uh, at least that's anticipated to take place as several teams that would like to have draft picks or draft choices in the first round do not have them, including the Winnipeg Jets. The Jets have several cards to play, shall we say, and then right at the top of the pile is Jacob Truba, who uh, by all indications are uh, has played his last game as a Winnipeg Jet, will be uh, will be dealt, uh, if not before the draft, uh, in all likelihood before free agency starts July 1st. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb back on Wednesday, and too bad for McNabb because she is missing out because the Flatlanders Beer Festival is this weekend, and we're getting a preview right now, Greg. And I've put the, the five beers they've brought in safely out of reach <laughs> for the moment, at least. 
I feel as though we should be in another room. <laughs> or, the, or our guests ought to be in another room. It's one, happening. One or the other. It's happening this weekend, June 21st, June 22nd, Bell MTS Place. It is the 17th annual Flatlanders Beer Festival in support of the True North Youth Foundation. And in studio with us, we have Kate Flett, who is Game Day and Events Manager for True North Youth Foundation, and Janelle Chaleste, Product Ambassador for Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries. Kate and Janelle, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having thanks us. Morning. So, Kate, can you correct me if I'm wrong? Did the, the Flatlanders Beer Festival, did this used to be years ago now at the convention center? Yeah, yeah. About uh, five or six years ago, we transitioned over the Bell MTS place. But yeah, it used to be at the convention center. It was very typical to your wine fest and kind of one of those smaller rooms. Um, but we thought, why don't we bring it into our own house, into our own backyard with the True North Youth Foundation and kind of just create a different festival vibe, um, play on obviously our Winnipeg Jets and uh, just use the Bell MTS place to uh, to its best capacity. Yeah, people like the opportunity not only to be in the building when there's something other than hockey going on, mm-hmm. but the opportunity to go down at, at ice level is something not everyone gets an opportunity to do. So here's a chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You can go down, you can stand at center ice and kind of look up in the stands and take it all in. And uh, we're really lucky that uh, our Winnipeg uh, local beer community is so huge that uh, they've taken over the ice level. So uh, the ice level of the Bell MTS place will be all featuring all local beers so it's really awesome yeah so for somebody it's just the main level concourse right yeah That's it's the main level full. concourse and the ice level so we'll have over 100 booths which is uh, our biggest to date and over 375 products available uh, to sample don't forget the food trucks yeah we have five <laughs> food trucks to feed the masses so a little bit of everything from pizza tacos uh, tot wheels which is kind of like a hash brown almost and yeah it's 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 great it's a good festival vibe grab a beer grab a, a pizza or whatever and uh, just enjoy your night. I think Tot Wheels was the food choice for me. I think they were there last year. Yeah, yeah, they would have been there. Okay, then. Yeah. Like tater tots? Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they. Uh, once upon a time, they actually set up right in our parking lot here, and I had they. They had like a breakfast. Kind oh. of. Oh yeah, like yeah. with an egg on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. So good. <laughs> yeah. So Janelle, when you're assembling, and I see you've got 375 products. Yes. To try this year, that's up from 300 last year. So do you like? How does that work? Do you? Uh, does your organization select the items, or do the vendors say, "Hey, let's uh, let's bring this in." So how it works is uh, brewers apply to be a part of the festival and then they uh, let us know what products they want to bring in and uh, we work with Manitoba Liquor uh, Marts and ensure that we can bring in those uh, products for them in a timely manner and and uh, we're really lucky with our local breweries. Um, obviously they make everything in-house so they're doing a lot of uh, really unique and innovative things that we actually, they haven't even told us some of the things that they're bringing so it's going to be a surprise to all of us which is really exciting. So just how, how do you balance the message here, uh, Janelle? Because clearly responsible drinking and the whole idea of, of doing it properly is something that we've been talking about consistently for a decade or more. So how do you balance, balance out that message uh, with an event like this? Well, it's like you mentioned, there's like 375 beers this year, right? So definitely go in there with a game plan of maybe getting that program and trying to figure out which booths that you would really like to try some of the some of their products. Definitely check out the local stuff. And then, of course, like have some food and have a safe way to get home afterwards. This isn't about going to get exactly. blasted, right? Exactly. It's more right? about like enjoying and seeing all those innovative things that are happening. 
So if you, uh, like, do you have a, a strategy that you could recommend in terms of, like I know for the wine festival, mm-hmm. uh, there are some people will recommend a strategy like, hey, go in and try your whites and then go back <laughs> and try the reds or go like, don't just, don't just sort of shotgun them all because you mess up your palate. Right. So is there a way to, to do it? Like, should I, like, let's say, uh, should I start with a heavier beer, for example, and then end on the lighter beers? I probably would do the opposite myself. I usually tend to start with even like the fruit style beers. That Mm -hmm. was just how I did it last year. Go a little fruity and then kind of do a little bit more of like those palate cleansing, lighter pale ales um, or lagers and then go into those like IPAs, right? Then go into those bitter beers with all the flavor because those will definitely fry some of your taste buds with all that bitterness. Oh, really? Okay. So if you (laughs) you go in too early on those, then you might wreck the rest of the taste. Yeah, you might. You might. That's all you'll taste. That's a really good point. That's how I That's do it. That's why we bring least. the experts in, right? Yeah. <laughs> to have these conversations. I know I used to have a little bit of a wine club. We used to get together and uh, we would start with the most expensive wine yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and nice. then work our way through the list in terms of uh, the economy of scale <laughs> and end with the less expensive wine because uh, by that point it really didn't matter. <laughs> so when we when we think about events like this, there is a community component clearly yeah. and it's that win 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 the true true north youth foundation where's that money go give us an idea of yeah. what happens in the community with the money that's raised with an event like this Kate. yeah so we're very fortunate um with the support of flatliners beer festival all the funds stay in manitoba and they go towards um helping underserved youth kind of meet uh their potentials and provide different opportunities that they might uh otherwise not have so uh we're lucky the true north youth foundation uh runs three programs so that's our winnipeg jets hockey academy uh project 11 which is a mental health curriculum from early years through middle school and uh, Camp Manitou as well, which is working to give every kid in Manitoba a camp experience. So um, you can know that you're not only are you coming down to try some uh, delicious beers and have a good time, but you're also helping um, the Winnipeg and Manitoba community uh, and the youth in it. We have a text question here for you, Janelle. Uh, Janelle Chaleste is with us for Product Ambassador, Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries, and Kate Flett, Game Day and Events Manager for True North Youth Foundation. Someone wanting to know, will there be gluten-free beers to try? I believe when I looked at the list, I did see maybe one or two. Yeah, it's not. there's not a lot of them, but there are ciders. So you could probably find some gluten-free ciders as well during the, the event. Now, you brought in uh, uh, five beers. Uh, one of them, I've, I've just noticed it in the last couple of weeks. It's from Half Pints mm. Brewing, and it's called Bikey McBike Face. <laughs> it <Whoa>. is. <laughs> so it, it, we'll have to ask them why what inspired the name. But what is Bikey McBike Face? Uh, Bikey McBike Face is a grapefruit lager. Uh, so unlike a Rattler, because they're not really calling themselves a Rattler, it's a little bit more on the hoppy side. So you're looking about 30 IBUs, 30 international beer units. What does and, that mean, uh, IBU? Uh, international bitter units. So it's uh, it's what will give those beers that bitterness in it. So it's caused by hops usually. Okay. And, where do uh, we get these ratings? I know, right? It's uh, it's all scientific. It's all people. But where, who, will, uh, will you in our booklet, like if we go to the beer festival, will you, you be rating them by the IBUs or no? There, um, how, how do we figure this out? In the booklet, it'll it'll have like the style of beer. Okay. Um, for to get like the actual kind of scientific numbers of it, it you can always ask the people pouring. They're experts on the product, and mm-hmm. feel free to ask them questions. Um, but yeah, 
not that not that in depth information in the program. Okay, so is it a refreshing drink though? If it's grapefruit flavored, it does, but it has more of like that beer taste to it. So not as not as like juicy as a Rattler because you still have like more of that lager flavor in there. Okay, that's it. It's an interesting trend. <laughs> it is all yeah. these fruit flavors. Like uh, I always knew it as a shandy when I was younger, yeah. right? And yeah. you mix a beer in the wine or fruit juice or something. Mm-hmm. I saw a commercial for one of the major beer producers. I won't out them here, but uh, I was watching golf yesterday and I yelled at the TV, "Why don't you concentrate on making a palatable beer before you start <laughs> adding juices to it?" You know. But anyway, that's a that's an editorial comment on my part. Well, and that's the great thing about the beer fest, right? Is that you can go and you because a lot of people I think will just drink those standard beers mm-hmm. because that's what they're used to or what that's what they know. And then you go to a place like this where you can try 375 mm-hmm. products at 103 booths, and you you're bound to find something that you like. And a great thing too, Kate, is a lot of the stuff uh, you can purchase on site. Yeah, so we'll have our on-site Liquor Mart store. Uh, so I believe there's 115 products that'll be available on-site at the store. Some are just exclusive to the festival. Um, and Liquor Mart does a really great job of um, you go and you can purchase it, and what they'll do is they'll deliver it to your local Liquor Mart so you can pick it up after the festival, and that's just a part of the safe consumption, making sure um, that everyone is uh, having a good night and not overindulging. Now, one of the beers you brought is from Belgium. It's a strawberry-based yes. beer. So will there be uh that are from Europe? Yes, definitely. There's there'll be beers from all over the world, actually. So mm-hmm. this one here that I brought is uh, it's a Belgium lambic, so it's a sour beer. So it's one of those like really sour beers flavored with uh, raspberry, actually. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Which one are you going to try, Greg? <laughs> There's a Torque Blonde. There is the yeah. Half Pints Spiky McBike Face. I see one from TransCanada. What's the TransCanada one? This one is the Portager. So it's their Pilsner. So really nice, light, refreshing nice. beer for the summer. Well, what was Local. the? Well, we were talking before we came on the air. Uh, one of my friends brought me for my birthday, uh, like a, a ten pack or something, mm-hmm. and they one slot with a different kind of beer in each one. It's like a beer buffet, well, yeah. but, but that's not what you guys call it. You call it something I else. Was, I think it's called the Manitoba Social Pack. So yeah. uh, the local beer community is really awesome and they all kind of work together. It's not really competitive, like I'm sure it is in some ways, but they, sure. they work to, together to kind of create these cool and innovative uh, products for people in Manitoba. So yeah, the Manitoba social pack, it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, uh, I, I have a bikey McBike face in that social <laughs> oh, pack. Nice. So I've yet to try it. Maybe I'll try it this morning. Well, you can get tickets uh, flatlandersbeerfest.com is the website. Tickets start at $42.95. They're available at Liquor Marts as well as Ticketmaster and then there are reduced price uh, DD tickets also available. And I, as they mentioned, if you do go and you plan to try the beer, make sure you have a safe way to get home. It's at Bell MTS Place, so you can hop a bus, you can get a cab, but do not plan to go to this uh, if you're driving. Or don't don't plan to try it, because you, you might go and say, I'll just have a, a couple of samples. Yeah. Well, I, the first time I went to something like this, I think it was the Wine Fest, we thought, should we drive? And they said, no, let's just take a cab, because we didn't know what we were getting into. And an hour and a half in, we didn't go there to get drunk, but it kind of happened. So just make sure you're responsible. Go and enjoy yourself. It's super fun. I had a great time last year. So Kate and Janelle, thank you for coming in to tell us about this. This is wonderful. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.